Welcome back to It Starts Now, the happy hour of finance and business. My name is Stanley. Today's guest graduated from Morehouse College, went on to the University of Denver to become a CPA. Uh, he also owns a family firm. One is located in Georgia, down in Atlanta, and the other one is in New York City by Rockefeller Center. Uh, he's here to talk about corporate taxes and so much more. Please welcome Jason Bavell. Hey, thanks, Stan, for the great welcoming. It's good to be on. I look forward to having some dialogue. Man, um, I'm excited to have you here because uh, one thing, you have a lot of knowledge when it comes to um, corporate information or when it comes to taxes, but also like, I've known you for quite a while now, and we always had good conversations, and everything led to always something positive, and I always took some good information from it. Uh, before we begin, because, you know, we have, a, we have extensive history, so we could really talk for, for quite some time, um, but I'm going to try to keep it, you know, nice and timely. Um, but before we begin, I always wanted to ask this question, you know, you're from Brooklyn, Flatbush area, and you decided to go to University of Denver. Like, how did that come about? <laughs> That's a funny story. So I'm going to give the real edited version. So I really had no plans of going out to Denver. Uh, I really wanted to, when I completed my undergrad, come back to New York to work. Long story short, I was forced into doing a tax competition and representing my school, Morehouse. And after the competition, uh, the University of Denver, the head of their tax program, reached out and offered uh, a scholarship, an opportunity to further my education out in Denver. For a while, I was like, no, I'm not going to Denver. Uh, but then as it got closer to graduation date and looking at the prospects of, am I ready to enter the workforce? Am I ready to join my father's firm? Or uh, should I continue my education? It came down to the last minute where I said, hey, you know what, let me try this opportunity. I'm glad I did it. It turned out to be a great opportunity, uh, met some interesting people, did things that I never would have done uh, if I wasn't in Denver. And I still go back from time to time to visit Denver. So uh, very happy that I did it. Um, at the time, did you feel isolated? Like, were you like the minority, like minority? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Yes and no. So there okay. were others, um, that came to Denver that uh, was in the school that I was able to associate with, but obviously the minority numbers were low, but I still had a great time. Uh, it took me almost no time to make friends and to get into fun college things. Uh, so, you know, it still, still had a great experience. It was just different. Okay. Well, I always, I always wondered that because um, growing up at the time, I don't even think 
Um, I, we were even thinking about Denver, you know, or even other states on, on that side, on the West Coast side. Um, but that was interesting that you were one of the first ones to pioneer and say, okay, out of all of us to say, okay, I'm going to go all the way out there <laughs> and to experience that. But that's great. Funny um, you said pioneer because the school's mascot is, they're called Denver Pioneers. So, you know, a little bit of irony, but yes, it was very unique. Um, everyone, this is really the pre-internet days. Everyone was like, where? Denver. Denver. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I was one of them like, what? Denver? Yeah, the only, the only thing on the West Coast or out West for New Yorkers was California. Outside of California, it was like, where? So. Um. All right. <laughs> I'm still shocked by that, but it's good to know that you had that good experience. Um, let's dive right into it. Cause I, I, you know, I have a few people that uh, pose a good question. Um, as a taxpayer, right. Uh, what do we need to do or what do we need to uh, position, how to position ourselves so that way you can better serve us? Well, that's a great question. I wish more of my clients asked that. Uh, one of the first things, a few things that I notice in the practice and even my father, my uncle and other professionals uh, we always talk about is information. The best way you keep your information and your records helps us to be able to give you maximum service. Uh, not just whether you're a business owner or individual, it helps us to locate advantages, tax advantages, and also helps us to make sure that your stuff is accurate as well. Uh, so information and the way that's delivered is number one. The second thing uh, that comes into mind immediately is transparency. A lot of times, people withhold information that may be beneficial mm -hmm. uh, for their taxes, but they're not transparent. And, you know, the, the more that we have to investigate, it makes our job harder because we might miss something that could be beneficial to you, or we miss something that may come back and uh, impact you negatively. So, Transparency after information is the two major things that you should come with um, when dealing with any professional, especially tax, financial, legal, those worlds, you should be, information and transparency should be the top two things if you really wanna get top-notch service. Um, speaking of transparency, can you give an example of something that uh, people should be transparent about and that can impact them? So I'm going to give a very easy one. Uh, not being open about the all the tax documents that you receive. So one of the easiest things is people receive, I'll give you one that a lot of people can relate to, uh, the premium tax credit, the 1095A. They leave that out. Well, depending on your situation, that's a vital document. And because everything's computerized, leaving something like that out 
you're going to get a letter later on and you're going to be penalized. I deal with it almost every month. Uh, Quick question. What, what makes it so vital? Well, what makes it vital is you have to report it uh, because it could be a taxable impact. So, and not just 1095 A's, but 1099 miscellaneous where uh, we have independent um, people who have side uh, jobs that leave that out. You have companies, business owners that leave that out or um, whatever the situation is, those documents are important. And people leave those things out thinking, oh, it doesn't matter. It isn't a large amount of money or whatever have you, but they don't understand that their chances of receiving a letter in the mail go up exponentially because everything's computerized. So you withholding tax information from us uh, creates a massive problem. Now, the other transparency issues we see uh, more on the business owner side is just certain things or transactions whether a lot of times it's income related transactions or it's expense related transactions or things that they've done that they are not transparent with of, hey, Jason, we sold this asset. They are not transparent or, oh, Jason, we bought this asset or whatever their business transactions are. Uh, a lot of times that creates problems because things are missed, um, whether beneficial or things that they may view as not beneficial or missed, but if it's uncovered, not by us, but by whatever government entity, that creates more problems. So in our, in our practice, we see it from time to time. We still try to encourage uh, our clients, whether individuals or companies, uh, to please be transparent with us and we will work to make sure that you get the best outcome within the law possible. Uh, that's good. Um, let, let, let me ask you this. What was, what's the difference between last year's tax season versus this year's tax season? And what do you suggest that we do to have a better tax season? Because, you know, every year things change. And especially when you have different political people in office, the taxes change as well. That's a great question. Uh, a lot of people actually don't realize that. You're right. It changes depending on who's in office, whether uh, that's admitted or not. But you see it. Uh, this tax season compared to last tax season was different just because of obviously the global pandemic of COVID-19, um, having to shut down and not have um, your office open uh, during key months of March and April, um, and even the summer, depending on the firms, uh, made it more difficult as far as meeting with clients. Some clients are not as technologically savvy as others to do Zoom meetings or Microsoft uh, Teams meetings. Um, so that dynamic made it difficult for uh, the industry. And just in general, the, the, the concerns. So what we saw is people push back their tax 
filings um, even further past what the government allowed, especially if they were in a position of owing because of the economic unrest or them having uh, in their business or personal uh, personal lives having financial distress because of COVID. So will they get penalized for that? Yes, they will. But the argument or the thought behind it is, you know, they have to try to make it now. So if you're a company and we've had clients that were greatly impacted by COVID, you're trying to keep your doors open. So yes, legally you should file or you're going to be penalized, but those businesses and business owners and partners, et cetera, were more concerned about keeping their business afloat during this time period than actually filing on time. Now, a good portion did. Um, some were able to make their extensions. We filed a lot of extensions for companies and our individual uh, tax clients. Um, about probably 85% were able to filed by the extensions, um, even this past one of October 15th, but we still have around 15% that have told us, hey, we're going to get to it uh, when we can. So that's what really is the difference between 2019's tax season and 2018 is the pandemic and just the physical issues of having those in-person meetings and also the economic concerns. Okay. So as far as like the, the taxes itself, that's, that's embedded in, in the, what, what I'm guessing the criteria is that you have from 2018 to 2019 that stayed remained the same is just because of the pandemic that's causing it to have a, that, that's going to cause a different effect. Yes. So okay. the laws, pretty much remained the same. It's just the whole system of how things were done um, got turned upside down because of the pandemic. Now, going into next year, that tax season is gonna be different because of the CARES Act with things being changed, such as um, the ability, if you're under the 59 and a half uh, rule, you can pull your, um, your retirement accounts and not suffer the, I believe it's the 10% uh, early withdrawal penalty on top of the taxes that you were charged. That was waived for 2020 due to the pandemic. Um, there's some other tax rules that had been um, laxed or changed uh, that we'll see the outcome in 2020, but that's the most notable rule that affects probably a larger portion of the tax paying population. Okay. Now, um, one thing, if um, I own my company and like, what's the best way to keep track of deductions? Accounting. Uh, and it sounds stupid, but it sounds basic, but it's very true. So there's different levels of accounting. There's great programs such as Quickens or QuickBooks that uh, business owners can use to keep track. Uh, if 
you're unable or unwilling to use those things, I recommend using Excel where you just keep each month and you kind of just account for your income and your expenses that way. Uh, if that is cumbersome, then old school, uh, a ledger where you keep track of your income and your expenses. So those, you know, probably a little tedious, but it's important. Yeah. The best way of course is utilizing technology and software. Then if you can't do that, then of course, Excel and if you, or, or whatever, uh, documents that you use. And if you can't do that, then yes, the final measure I'd recommend is handwritten. Although, uh, folks in our industry, we hate to see a handwritten ledger in 2020 or 2021 or anything past 2000, but you know, it's whatever works for the business owner at the end of the day. Uh, do you guys use like bank statements to use as um, deductions? Or uh, is yes. this, okay. So your deductions can be shown on the bank statement. One thing we encourage everyone, whether you're a startup or your established uh, company is you want to have a separate business account where you run everything through because uh, one of the things that come up a lot is co-mingling and co-mingling just means you're either using the business account for personal and business or you don't have a business account and you're using your personal account for business and personal. And surprisingly, we've seen it at all stages. So we always recommend you keep a separate business bank account and you make sure most, if not all of your business related transactions are kept through that account and your personal transactions are kept in your personal account. Uh, and we strongly advise that for a merit of reasons. Now, if we, we have the separation, uh, there's no co-mingling. Uh, there is a separation. Um, I guess my question is, can, all right, I'm using just strictly my business account and nothing else. Mm -hmm. Is that enough for me to go to a tax person and say, hey, um, or do you still recommend that they still use a, a software? So it depends. Okay. So, you know, you can present your own financial statements to your preparer, or you can bring your bank statements um, and they can prepare your financials, which is needed for the tax return. As far as our firm, we do both. We have clients that have their financial statements and we're able to use that. And then we have clients where we use the bank statements and prepare the financials and then prepare the taxes. Oh, that's good. Now let, let's go back to it. Um, now I know most, when I say go back to it, I want to go back to the keeping on the corporate side. Now I know there's a lot of companies or corporations that get tax breaks that regular individuals do not get. Right. Um, can you explain some of the benefits or how can I, as a corporation, if someone is interested of those to reap those benefits, how can they maximize it? Well, that's a great question. The first easiest answer I'm going to say is to hire a firm 
like our firm, Bovell Financial, easy plug, <laughs> uh, that know what they're doing. They're able to guide them through all the potential tax breaks. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we watch the news, we see the headlines of this Fortune 100 or Fortune 50 company has a tax rate of 5%, 10%, or even um, the companies that do not allegedly pay any income tax. And there's a myriad of reasons, and each company is different, but a lot of times they leverage tax professionals and they have tax planning. These are all things that they do. So we do the same thing with our clients. If you're a business owner, you should have tax planning. And by the time the year is over and you come to me, there's opportunities and of course tax benefits that will work to, if you qualify to use, but it's kind of after the fact. A lot of these corporations have pre-planning. So mm -hmm. what we encourage our clients, whether you're a startup or a fully established company, is you should probably have tax planning at the start of the year. So we're meeting with clients in this fourth quarter uh, concerning 2021 so right. that they're able to enjoy all the benefits that is allowable under the law for them. But you come to us um, by the time it's March 15th for filing, um, there's only but so much we can do. So this is, th those are the major differences that you see between a major company and a company in its earlier stages um, is just tax planning. And that of course is the number one thing. The second thing of course is the laws that you see. So the larger companies are able to take advantage of certain things that are put in place to try to encourage economic growth uh, and encourage those companies to grow and to be in certain states and localities. So those things come into play too that maybe the regular business may not be able to benefit from. But at the end of the day, the best thing, no matter what size you are, mm -hmm. is tax planning. So to summarize it, number one, it's best to get ahead and, and, and start early. So that way you can reap the benefits. Uh, because I hear it all the time when people use like Trump and Bezos of not uh, paying taxes or paying 700, I think what, 720, 730, whatever the num amount is. And I, I look at it both ways, you know, yeah, I agree. They should be paying taxes too, but at the same token, I'm looking at it. Is that a bad thing or is it a smart thing that they're not doing it? Right. That they paying less taxes. Because if you're looking at it from a corporation standpoint, that may be a good thing that they got somebody to really handle their taxes and they don't have to pay a lot. But then on the flip side about it, you're like, they're making that much money, so they should be paying some more taxes. So I guess that it all depends on the law, right? If the law is on their side and if they're able to get away with it or if not, a, not necessarily get away with it, but to your point, if they're able to pre-plan 
and get it done correctly. Yes. So it's, you know, that's the major argument that's being debated now. And I think that's debated every election on what is the corporate responsibility. So of course, every corporation, whether private or public, wants to not pay taxes or pay as little as possible. Now, mm -hmm. the flip side of that is those governments and the citizens in that uh, locality or in that country may say, hey, you have a responsibility as a citizen, a corporate citizen, that's the word that you hear mm -hmm. that's used a lot, right. to help pay for the government um, to keep this country going so that you could reap the benefits. So that's always the argument. Obviously, yeah. both sides see it differently because, you know, to tell you, and this comes from intimate experiences of speaking with these uh, companies, executive team, or the owners, they feel like, hey, we're already a good corporate citizen. Um, look at all the people we employ. I was just about to say that make the economy go by the supplies we're uh, paying for or by the product or service that we're giving. Mm -hmm. So that's their argument of, Hey, we're paying different various taxes that people don't see. And we're bringing the economy along. So we shouldn't have to pay uh, income yeah. tax or a high income tax. So that's the back and forth. I personally think it's going to be the back and forth until the end of time. Um, that's just something that's a part of a capitalistic democratic system. So it's always going to be the argument. Yeah. And I, and I can see the argument too, because if, if they're providing jobs and, and it just, it's just off the head thinking, if they're providing jobs and the more I'm, I'm assuming that the more people they could employ less taxes, if they start paying more taxes, I'm, I'm guessing that's less people that they're going to employ. And I, and, and that could be an argument and I, and I could see the other side of it. Um, but like you said, it's going to be an argument for, for years to come because we are still in that same uh, dogma of system. So it is what it is, but I, I, I it makes sense. I agree with you. Um, so what's going on with you right now, personally? Like, what are you working on? Well, personally, right now I'm working on providing CFO services to our clients. Uh, we have clients uh, in various industries, but a focus in the financial services world, private equity clients, uh, venture capitalist clients, investment management clients, uh, wealth management clients, uh, we have clients in the real estate industry. We have clients in the legal industry. We have clients in the, of course, in the IT industry. So we provide CFO services. We provide advisory services. And advisory means uh, sort of what the word is, depending on the situation, um, special services where we're doing helping with valuations, negotiating deals. Um, we're currently in the midst of doing that, uh, helping them with M&A work, which is mergers and acquisitions, um, helping them internally uh, go over certain things or look at certain uh, cost cutting benefits, tax benefits. 
uh, we're providing right now, still doing tax compliance, also uh, tax planning, as we spoke about. Mm -hmm. So those are the things right now that is keeping myself and the team very busy. So that's what is going on right now. Uh, quick question. At what point did you realize uh, this, is, this was the career for you? So it's funny. I would say in college, I had an idea, but I was still open and looking at different lanes in the business world. So I knew I wanted to do business. I was majoring in accounting, but I started off even before I went to college, interning uh, with Morgan Stanley, um, also interning at different companies, investment companies. So I was thinking, well, maybe I'll go and do finance do or do investing. Really had the accounting and advisory and tax on the back burner. Although my father and my uncle had firms, I still wasn't sure that was the way I was gonna go. But once I got to grad school, uh, I started to say, well, you know what? I'm going to, I believe this is my lane. But I still always kept it open, but mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. So definitely I would say by the end of senior year, going into grad school, I said, all right, this segment of the, wild, the wide world of business is where I'm going to make my market. And I, you know, I'm happy with the decision. It gives me flexibility and allows me to work and do various things that I found enjoyable, fortunately. Yeah. But coming out of college, um, you could have went and started working with your father and your uncle. Instead, you decided to go work for another company. That's a, that's a great point. So yes, mm. I got my start at one of the big four firms. Um, that was a good experience, met a lot of great people. I kind of wanted my own experience with corporate America because at that time, when you're in school, that's what's pushed. And also, you know, once I went to grad school, that was pushed. And that's the route that I least wanted to experience first. I had the internship, so I did know about corporate America and how things went, but I still wanted that experience. And, you know, my father was uh, pretty good about it. He didn't uh, really pressure me. He said, hey, go and get the experience, see what you learn. And, you know, the right doors will open up and you'll figure it out. And mm -hmm. of course, naturally, I will say it was my destiny. Things just opened up that led me to uh, going independent. And I haven't looked back since. Yeah, that's good. But what, what was the motivator to allow you to go independent? Well, a merit of reasons. So being able or having a background where I already from an early age was able to see how life was in the independent lane and then getting as an adult the experience in the corporate lane, mm -hmm. I was able to make a, a decision where I said, hey, for me personally, I enjoy the freedom 
and the opportunities that the independent lane provides for me. Now, for some people, you know, they like the corporate lane and there's certain benefits, but for me and really my vision for my life and what I wanted to do and the impact I wanted to have, I truly believed then and I believe now that the independent lane was for me. Now, there's many reasons, you know, one, the freedom, two, the opportunity of actual impact, mm -hmm. and then three, you know, something that everyone likes to gloss over, but the financial benefits of being independent uh, compared to being corporate. Now, of course, um, that can go either way, but if you're able to be successful independent, more often than not, the financial benefits far outweigh the financial benefits of being corporate for many. Now, right. if you're the one percent, actually it's less than one percent, and you hit the ex high executive level of these major corporations or firms, then that's debatable. No, more often than not, the financial benefits are in favor of the corporate world. But for the vast majority of um, those in the corporate world, mm -hmm. if you have success in the independent uh, world, your chances of enjoying better financial fruits are astronomically higher. And I'm willing to debate that with anyone because <laughs> I have the, the lane that I'm in and our firm is in, I get to see across the board. Right. I'm kind of in a unique position where our business is the financial business of corporations, companies, nonprofit organizations, and individuals. So I'm able to get a gauge completely different than if I'm in the IT world and all I do is IT. Mm -hmm. I might have an understanding of the IT world and uh, the financial structure, but I can only speak to that. In my world, I service everyone. True. So I'm able to contrast and compare a lot of times. Yeah, that's true too. But then running, you know, some people run, uh, they have a own, like for, for example, you have your own office, you got one in Rockefeller Center and you got one in Atlanta and Georgia, but some people run their office at home, right? And being independent at home. Uh, can they can they reap some of those benefits of of you know how do you work that out when some people say you can uh, deduct deduct the cost of your living your living expenses or your rental expenses or whatever it is your mortgage expenses because you have a home office and some people say no you can't like what which one is it so I really hate to be an attorney and say that it's a combination. So in the past, the tax code allowed for home office deduction, but it was and st still is a highly contested topic because, you know, the, the hope or the concern of the IRS and even the state and local agencies was they didn't want it to be abused. And it's for the longest while, it was a, still a phenomenon. You only had a small percentage of people who actually worked from home. Mm -hmm. But over the past five to seven years, 
you know, working from home for even a decade is no longer a phenomenon. Running That's a business. The, the norm right now. Yeah, is, is no longer a phenomenon, even before COVID. Now with COVID, it's very much here to stay. So the pushback, even if you followed the letter of the law before, was so great that a lot of people in the industry would say to their clients, we're not even going to try to take that because we don't want the pushback. But now that it's the norm, uh, I encourage people, if you have a legitimate business and you're working out of your home, you can deduct certain things allowable by the law um, because your home is where you're conducting your business. And it's not crazy. It's not a, a ploy. It's the reality, especially now with COVID. So I would definitely encourage everyone listening, if you have a business um, that's being ran out your home, to make sure that you try to take advantage of that. And, you know, you go to someone that's knowledgeable, you read up on certain things and you take advantage of it. All right. So let's go back to um, earlier when we discussed having a separate um, bank account. Now, if I'm normally paying, uh, I'm normally paying rent from my personal account and now I start my home business and I'm funding every, I'm, I, I have a home operation. Now, do I start making payments through my business account now? Or do I just remain as a personal account? Like, how does that work? That's a or great question. Right. That's a very great question. Um, and this is, once again, the gray area. So what we encourage our clients is, number one, practicality. So what is the most convenient for you? So if you're paying everything out of your personal and that works for you, then keep it paying it out of your personal. What we would then come and do is at the end of the year, we would gather the information. You'd say, mm -hmm. hey, I paid $10,000 in rent. My utilities was $4,000 and whatever have you um, was whatever amount that you come up with. And then we will sit down and go over everything and say, hey, according to your situation and what the tax code is saying, we can deduct out of $10,000, we can deduct three, four, five thousand $5,000 of your rent and of your utilities, um, a quarter, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what we do because it gets complicated. And one of the things that you know, I personally strive and I preach it to everyone at the firm is we want to make it as practical and real as possible. A lot of times with some of this tax advice that I hear, it's not practical. If you're running a business and a normal person, it's tough to do some of these things. So we try to make it for each of our clients as simple as possible. And then we'll just do our end to sort through it and um, do the best in our client's favor when it's time to file. So that's what I recommend. No, that's good. Because uh, I think that's, that's one of those debatable things that people, but you're, to your point, COVID had impact everything and probably changed the norm on how we do business. And because of that, uh, 
I think it should be, especially if you're at home all the time and you're doing work from home, it should be part of it, um, part of the deductions, in in my opinion. But um, it's good to know that we got somebody like you that we can always call and contact (laughs) and get the thorough information. Um, Now, let's say somebody's really hearing you and hearing what all the information that you just shared and they wanted to get into that uh, accountant field or the CPA field, uh, what would you recommend? Find a mentor first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Find a mentor and then because you have the age that we live in, this technological age, you can look at YouTube or go online and do your research on the field and get direction and guidance because if you, and this is with anything, if you don't get guidance, you might make uninformed choices that you don't realize was not the best for you. So with our field and with any field, I would say try to find a mentor, do research and um, try to get experience even before you graduate. If you're in college, try to get internships, of course, in the accounting world. Um, Firms or even in what we call industry companies where they have accounting department, tax department, so you can get as much experience as possible uh, in our world. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Mentorship is very important. Yeah, that's that's very important. Uh, I know you dabble into real estate as well, too. (laughs) You want to share some of that? There's so many experience. You don't have to go into details, but yes, yes. So I've I've had real estate clients for years, from mom and pop offices to large corporations, and it's always been something that's fascinating to me personally, and I see the benefit of it long-term. So finally, this starting last year, I was able to form a real estate company with a close uh, family friend and client, and we bought some land and built our first home. It was a learning experience. This is what I tell everyone, even though you do your research, there's no research like practical experience. And one of the things that I learned, even though we did our research, is once you're in the proverbial game, there's things that your research didn't tell you that you have to adjust to. So Mm -hmm. for us, the adjustment was we bought the land, we started our build in winter, and of course, had one of the toughest winters where we weren't able to pour foundation and just in general, it impeded our our building, our construction for almost three months. Fortunately enough, we were still able to build the house, um, was able to sell it and really um, interact with the owners. They loved the home. It was beautiful. We were able to make a profit on it But the lesson that we learned 
And anyone listening, if you're doing new construction, <laughs> not builds in the winter. But everything else was a good experience. We're moving forward, uh, increasing our output with building. Um, one of the principles that I always tell people is if you're entering any market, whether it's real estate or anything else that you're new to, try to start off small. So we didn't start off saying, hey, we're going to build three, four, five homes because mm -hmm. that's where you get into financial trouble and have different stresses. So we started off with one. Um, we got the experience and now we're moving on to a few homes as well as going into commercial in the foreseeable future. But so far it's been good. Um, gotten to practice some of the things that I preach and I see others do and what I preach with my own firm and applying it to real estate. So it's been a good experience so far still, but um, I think that still the, a, lot, the, a lot to learn. Right. And the thing that stood out to me when we first talked about this uh, was the fact that uh, the contractors, um, a lot of, th well, what was astonishing to me is that, you really have to be on top of the it, on top of the contractors. If you get somebody that's good, then you're okay. But if you're not certain about that person, then they can actually drag the project. And after speaking with you, I spoke to other a few other people when it comes to development, and they say the same thing. When it comes to contractors, um, you really got to be on top of them because you know, basically, the ball's on in their hand until it's done. That's the number one thing when it comes to anyone trying to get involved in real estate. Your contractors can make or break your budget. I don't care how great your comps are. If you have a contractor that isn't good or isn't, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it of high character? that you can trust, <laughs> they can turn that project into a nightmare. So for us, we were fortunate that we had a great contractor. Uh, I'd like to give them a special shout out, Marmo's Properties. <laughs> so we were able to trust them and they did a fabulous job. And that really saved us from taking a major loss with that project. So I would definitely, the one key piece of advice I would give to anyone is contractors. That's the number one thing when you're trying to get in there. So you have that, you have a good part of the battle done. Of course, you have other things such mm -hmm. as comps. You have to look at making sure that you stay within budget. You expect the unexpected. <laughs> and then, right. you know, of course, get into the final sale, selling uh, place. But contractor is number one. And I preach that and will always preach that. Now, you started from, you guys built it from the ground up. Yes. And, you know, and turned around and you sold it, made a profit. Uh, what's the taxes on that like? <laughs> <laughs> so for us, because this is the company we started, and it's in line with the company, we would face ordinary income taxes. Mm 
Mm, so what okay. that means is whatever the tax rate is, we would face. Uh, in that state? Yeah, well, federal and state. In state, correct. Yes, but if it's what they call investment, where that's not your normal trade or business, and you're involved in real estate, what they call passively, then the gain on the sale is treated as capital gains. The capital gains, you have long-term and you have short-term. So capital gains in general are taxed at a lower rate than ordinary income. Now, short-term capital gains are taxed higher. And all that means is anything that you, that you make um, under a year. So if you sold the property or asset under a year, you have to pay short-term capital gains and that rate is higher. I can't remember the rate off the top of my head. I wanna say maybe 20 or 25%. If you sell your property or asset over a year, that means you held onto that property for a year or longer and sell it, then you have, you have long-term capital gains and that's a, a smaller tax rate which I believe is 15%. But this is the catch. If you're in real estate and you're aggressively in real estate, you really don't, and your business is flipping properties, then you don't remotely want to hold any property for a year because yeah. that means you're burning through your profit and you're possibly in a loss. Correct. Unless it's an income property. Yes. If it's a right. rental property. All right then yes, but if Income you're in the, in, the, in, the, in the flipping business, then you don't wanna hear those words, long-term capital gain or anything that has to do with long-term. That's correct. So you're in and out, you're in and out, you're in and out. Now, if you're a, a real estate investor or real estate owner that has rental property, then you want to be in the capital gain ballpark and you want to be in a long-term capital gain ballpark. So it just depends on your business model and what you're doing. And that is how, of course, it's treated with taxes. And that's with a lot of things. Man, it's been great, man. Hey, anything, final notes that you'd like to share with anybody? The final notes I want to talk to the audience is whether you're a business owner, an inspiring business owner, or you're just someone that has a passion in the career you're in. The number one thing is to get to whatever plan you have. Um, I've seen a lot of people wait and wait and wait until things are perfect to do whatever they're trying to do. And it's never perfect. So I would tell the audience, it starts now. <laughs> so whatever you're trying to do, it really starts now. Yeah. So if you're trying to get into business, start now doing the research and figuring out what your, what your product or your service is and trying to see what your customer base is. If you're in your career and you're trying to advance, figure out what it takes to advance. It might be some extra schooling. It might be some, some personal things that you need to work on, uh, some opportunities you need to look at. 
um, whatever it is, I encourage everyone that it starts now. If one thing this pandemic has taught us or should teach us is that the future is not promised. You have to start in the present mm -hmm. and you pray and hope for the future, but you're as prepared as possible. Yeah, what's that saying, that old proverbial saying? Uh, uh, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst? Yes. Yeah, so you want to you wanna be prepared. Yes. Yeah. So always that's the advice. And of course, there's a lot of other things I would love to discuss, but I know our time is up. Yeah. So <laughs> you have me back on the show. Oh, of course, we're going to have you back. Um, let, but before we even, you know, out the gate, 100%, I'm going to have you back. That's not even a question because we didn't, we even, I think we just scratched the surface. We didn't even really go deep into uh, pulling back the onion and really get into the things that we talk about. Um, so that's, that's automatic. Uh, one last thing, where can they reach you? So they can reach me. My email is jason at bovellfinancial.com. Our website is bovellfinancial.com. Um, Facebook, you can look up Bovell Financial, Instagram, Bovell Financial, Twitter, Bovell Financial. As you can see, we keep it consistent. So, <laughs> I like that. It's, it's on the shirt, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, yes. So, all you have to do is go to Google, Facebook, or whatever social platform that you have, and you can find us. And we're always willing to help. Um, we help in a myriad of ways. Tax, tax consulting, accounting, CFO services, and other advisory things um, to help you uh, to be as successful as possible as an individual and as an organization. Yeah, and then that's it right there. That says it all. Well, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you. Uh, we're definitely going to have all your links down in the uh, YouTube channel. Um, as always, a final word for me. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you. Um, we're on Instagram, underscore it, underscore starts, underscore now. Uh, check the link below. Uh, you'll see it. If you go into bio, we also have the link to the YouTube channel. Please um, tune in, listen. Uh, Bavel dropped a lot of gems today, and we definitely appreciate him uh, for stopping by. And thank you again. And that's it. Just one, one last thing. It starts now. <laughs>